0: The Rock Pile Report
2: with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. Bills
3: make me want to. It starts off with Gerald Hodges. Now, he's a linebacker, and right now our linebacker core is thin and missing speed. Hodges is a converted safety who can not only cover, but he's got that lower body power to play against the run well. I feel like adding Gerald Hodges to our lineup would almost am- he, I, he would almost immediately become a shoe-in to start over a guy like Ramon Humber. I think that Gerald Hodges could be this year's version of Zach Brown for our defense. I called it last year, I'm calling it this year, and I really hope the Bills take a flyer on this guy. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Bell Report Podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that, in the intro, was me! It's me, you sons of bitches, from May 10th, explaining why Gerald Hodges would be a perfect free agent fit for our roster, and that the Bills needed to sign him to address our lack of weak side linebacker depth. Now, guys, we have a packed show in front of us. It's going to be a lot of fun. But first and foremost, I got to introduce one of our newer guests, Mario Granada. It's me, Mario.
2: But with a man
3: butt. Mario. Mario! Mario Granada, everybody, from hashtag sports. How are you doing?
1: Hashtag dead right now. Oh, my God. That is phenomenal.
2: Awesome. I've never met you. I just know that you have a man bun. So,
1: so I did that 10 minutes ago. Um, you didn't tell him I dressed up as the Undertaker, apparently.
3: Oh, no. I told him. I go, he's Undertaker cosplay. Guys, for those of you who don't know, some things about Mario Granada. First and foremost. 6'3",
2: 265, lean. <laughs>
3: he's, a big, he's a big hoss. And at the same time, he he looks like the Undertaker when he lets his hair down. You know, when he takes it out of the bun and actually lets it hang, he could pass for the Undertaker. Now, we had you on the show once before. It was brief. You kind of had to get in and out. So, I, I kind of have a thing that I do with every first-time guest on the show. I want our listeners to get to know you a little bit, so that they can understand, you know, why you're a credible source of information, and also get to just know get, get a feel for who you are as a football fan. Now, first and foremost, okay. you are a former quarterback. You played high school, you played college, and then you you got an offer to play internationally. Is that correct?
1: I did. I got offered in uh, 2001 to play for the Dresden Monarchs uh, in Germany. Developmental deal.
3: That was back when the NFL Europe was still in the swing.
1: Yep. Yep. It was basically, uh, to put it in uh, baseball terms, it was the equivalent of like double-A baseball. Okay. To the majors.
3: Yeah. Fred Jackson played over there. For a mm-hmm. hot second, so obviously you 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 have some understanding then of the x's and o's of football, how an mm-hmm. offense and defense should be run. I mean, that's with your background in football from years of competing against you know you know <laughs> actually doing it, not so much just sitting back mm-hmm. and watching it and talking about it.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's def- it's definitely a different animal. That's why. Uh If you've listened to any of the hashtag sports shows that we do, I am a very big proponent of those guys, especially from the quarterback position, that actually get out there and do it because you could take all the notes you want in the film room. You could stand on the sideline and say you can do it. But once you're in that fire, that's when you're truly tested.
3: So now you are a Buffalo native, correct? I am, yes. (laughs) And you currently live in Niagara Falls. And I met him through doing the Rock Sports Network draft show. And one of the things that struck me about Mario was that he could he could debate me on almost any topic. If I brought it up, he'd have a counterpoint, but he'd bring up intelligent points, which is why I thought it'd be a great fit to come on the show. And that's when I started paying attention to his website. Now, you guys, hashtag sports.net. That's the sp- now, Paul was a previous guest of ours on the show. Our listeners will remember him. Now, you are the founder slash co-CEO of the website. How did this whole thing come to fruition?
1: Well, uh, Paul and I were a part of a, a couple of various podcasts back in uh, 2012, and then we just started talking back and forth uh, about some of the things that were being uh, you know, get, like shown or talked about on, on sports media. We're like, you know, we have a little bit of a different take. We have a little bit of a different style. Uh, and there's some things out there that really aren't being talked about. When you try to listen to your source in order to get your information about the Buffalo Bills – and there's there's guys on there that don't even know what a fr- the different free agent tags are.
3: Mm-hmm. It's kind
1: of disturbing. And, you know, we, Paul and I just decided to, hey, let's start our own thing. Let's start doing podcasts. Let's start writing. Let's start, uh, let's start giving everyone a different slant uh what's going on here in Western New York. Well,
3: and then you guys not only cover the Buffalo Bills, but you also cover NFL-wide issues. I mean, I've been on your website. I've read your blogs. You guys post a lot of stuff, and a lot of it's not just Bills-related. So it kind of gives you – I don't know. It gives you a little. It gives you a better perspective on our team. I mean,
1: it's yeah. You're not just a, putting blinders I mean, on you, and looking ta- at the bills. When they talk about tax season, you know, when some uh, accountants talk about tax season, mm-hmm. we have a we have a bit that's our. Uh, it's called 32 teams in 32 days, and we cover all the teams. We call it our on the clock series, and uh, we cover all the teams going leading up to the draft. And by examining the entire league the way we do, and just looking at the entire league, you really start to see uh, what. How successful teams are run, and then you start bringing that back to the Buffalo Bills, and you start, you know, start brainstorming ideas of what they could do in order to be successful.
3: No, well, and that's what I think the beauty of what you guys do really is. I mean, I know you guys used to podcast. It seems like you guys kind of took a step back from that recently. Any interest in that going forward?
1: Uh, actually, we talk, closer, and I talked um, yesterday about that. We're starting to brainstorm a few ideas uh, the problem was what we were doing and, and it's no i don't mean to step on your toes here drew but we, we were doing two-hour podcasts and mm-hmm. you know Ski's got two kids i got two kids it's to try to tell the misses that you're going to go in the basement for two hours and talk about football when it's not sunday is kind of a hard sell so we were doing two shows a week at two hours a clip so we decided to just take a little bit of a backseat to that and uh, just uh, focus on the website, the writing on the website. You can easily
2: fix that by getting a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> Chris and I don't have
3: kids. We're I, not married, and we're not. So that allows well, us I, to do I'm, what we did.
2: I'm waiting, <laughs> waiting for that letter in the mail that I'm divorced.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, question, stock question that I ask every guest on this show. Just to try to you know, kind of narrow down, like I said, who you are as a person on game day. Now, I don't know if you're a ticket holder. I don't know if you go to every game. On game day, I got to know two things. What's your favorite meal and what's your favorite beer?
1: Favorite meal, favorite beer. Uh, game day is usually uh, banana pancakes because we never finish the bananas throughout the week. So they're all black <laughs> yeah. by the time we get to Sunday. So I make them. Uh, Favorite beer, uh, like I said, uh, I, I go with the Sam Adams. Check totally out, Mario. Reese in Atlanta, he left these. <laughs> Fuck the <They're> bananas. All <laughs> black bananas.
3: Of course, Chris goes and gets the bananas. So as you oh, were saying, oh
1: god, that's funny. Yeah, like I, like uh, like I said, we want you know because the Bills haven't been on primetime, so you watch the Bills game at one o'clock. Yeah, I doze off with my son on the couch around 4 o'clock when my fantasy team's winning, and then I wake up at 8 to see my fantasy team get demolished. <laughs> and then I uh, put the kids to bed, and I'm ready for the 8 o'clock game, and then Monday's when I start the film.
3: And what is your favorite beer? If you had a beer that you could pick, if I told you, hey, hey I'm going to the fridge, it's got everything in it, everything, what's your beer of choice? Killian's. Killians, ah, my kind of guy. Kind of fancy, but not too expensive. See, Mario, you can come hang out at my house anytime.
1: If I'm bringing the beer, yeah.
3: <laughs> so, moving on. Postseason Q and A. First and foremost, you guys over to hashtag sports, but specifically you. Thoughts on the 2017 NFL draft class? I mean, I've got three of them. Pick most. Li- which pick do you think is most likely to succeed? What is your favorite pick, and are there any picks out of them that you question?
1: Uh, most likely to succeed, um, oh, boy, that's a tough one. I like I like what the Browns have done. Uh, I think Garrett's going to be a solid player. Um, you know, we, we, there's a track record of players that are all, uh, unbelievable defensive ends that go to really bad teams. Mario Williams is a guy that comes up. Um, Javon Kurz went to a team that wasn't very good, but then he made that he made the turnaround. Um I mean the the thing about it is too like I, I like I like Jamal Adams at the Jets. I really do. I think he's gonna have an Eric Berry esque career where uh is he, cancer he's on a very included. bad team. Is Jesus Christ. Wow. wow. What, is that too soon?
3: Wow, that's dark. Jesus Christ.
1: <laughs> is that too uh, soon? that too let me, uh,
3: soon? Let me, let me take a drink here before we continue. Is Jesus that too soon? Christ. We we
1: thank you for listening to the Rockpile Report. All right. Ooh, so,
3: Mario, as you were
1: saying, <laughs> Jamal Adams. <laughs> Uh, I like the upside uh, and I'm not being a homer here but I like the upside of the TreDavious White. I think he's going to be a solid corner. Um, and you know what? Uh, under the radar picks, you know, you talk about a guy uh, Ryan Ramzik that went to the Saints at 32. I That's mean, a you talk about even if even if Drew's not there, you got a solid tackle for whoever you bring in next. Yep. That is going to be battle tested in that division. So I mean, those are the guys off the top of my head. I like. I I I think it's hilarious the the Raiders pick of uh, Conley. Yeah. Because they don't really have a market to pander to, so PR they don't care about.
3: Yeah, they don't give a damn about that.
1: I know. And then linebacker, you with TJ Watt going to uh, the Steelers.
3: Yeah, that's Um, –
1: screw them. I I have a hard
3: time – this most recent NHL playoffs has made me realize I have no stomach for anything that comes out of Pittsburgh. One of the funniest things I heard was (laughs) – no, no. One of the funniest things I heard was the quote that – like someone sent out a thing and they put it on uh, Twitter. It's when Ben Roethlisberger came out to amp up the crowd during game one. And they were like, "I don't know why everyone's cheering. He's the biggest predator in the building," and I died. I died. It was hysterical. Oh
1: my lord! That, is that, is that worse Ben than Roethlisberger waving
3: is that worse? a towel, and someone commented that he was the biggest predator in the building.
2: Was that worse than my Barry joke I just pulled? All
3: I know, all I know is there, there, there was there were some good picks. There there really were in that first round. Now, Oof. let me tell you, what was your favorite Bills pick? Who and why? That,
1: let me just say that that's that's eerily similar to uh, to the first round of the draft when they said finally a white Bronco followed OJ.
3: Oh wow, yeah, that happened. They said that. Yep.
1: <laughs> so
3: if they're allowed a little snafu, can't I get one? Come on now.
1: If you guys if you guys are unclear, OJ Howard goes to the Buccaneers at number nineteen. Yep. Then Garrett Bowles goes to the Broncos at twenty, which, as Closer had mentioned on the previous show, that's the lowest an offensive tackle was taken. First, you know what I mean. Like, yep. there wasn't a tackle taken until 20th. Um, as far as favorite Bills pick, I mean, I like I, if I I like the Milano kid. I really do. I like what Peterman can do. Um, you know, getting him uh, so late, I think that he's going to end up blossoming into a guy that's you know learns the offense is able to. Uh, do you see him as a quality
3: offense. backup quarterback, or do you see him as a candidate to fight for a starting job?
1: Right now. He is, um, as all fifth rounders are, they're, in their mind, they're, they're fighting to make the team. Mm-hmm. They're fighting to get on the either the practice squad. If you put him on the practice squad, he won't, you won't, you'll lose him yeah. basically. Um, so he's a guy that's going to be one of the top three. You're going to put Yates in there. Uh, every first year coach needs to have an experienced backup. I, I wouldn't have personally went with Yates, but with the the mark, the free agent market that was <laughs> out there. Yeah, as there would say.
3: There, yeah, there wasn't a lot out there. Now, I guess what was your least favorite pick, if you could pick one? Just so that I can feel better about my own grievances towards this last draft.
1: Overall? Or just overall,
3: out of for the, the Bills? Bulls. No, for the Bills. This draft.
1: Um, you know, I like That's <laughs> funny. I, I, like the, I like the Zay Jones pick, but I don't know. If I would have taken a wide receiver with my second pick, knowing that what you know with the, and Closer's going to kill me. I know he's going to hammer me for this one, but um, knowing what we know about the defense, defensive minded coach, he had his corner. He should have went second level and took, taken care of the front seven. Yeah. But that being said, we just signed Rod Streeter. The Bills have Andre Holmes, they have Philly Brown. Get another young stud in here in case you do change quarterbacks and have him. Like, for example, you take a guy like Jones who's, let's just say he's comparable to Stevie Johnson. Okay? And if you read both of their draft profiles, and I'll credit Ski on that one because if you read both their draft pro- profiles, they're pretty they're pretty similar. You got a guy, Peterman, who he may bond with because, you know, Tyrod's not going to be here after next year. So then you have your rookie quarterback and your rookie wide receiver Building chemistry on and off the field.
4: That's, I
3: mean, no, that's, that's, that's and no. I mean, I mean that's what literally made the fr- the, the um, you know the what is it Ryan Fitzpatrick and Stevie Johnson. They both you know they blossomed because they had that chemistry that they built being second and third stringers. Yeah, that's that's what exactly. got them their chemistry. So I can see where you're coming from. Now, as the offseason season progressed. What in your mind, as far as the bills are concerned, most meaningful front office and free agent signings? You know, we've made a bunch of them. Pick two and tell me why.
1: You know what? Honestly, after the draft, I go, I get off the grid a little bit, and I pay attention to what's going on every once here and there. There's no names that jumped out to me that said, "Wow, I'm glad they made this move." Mm -hmm. Here, I this is like a lull. Like you know, right before the draft. About about two weeks before the draft, I don't mm-hmm. listen to any media. Mm-hmm. I mean I do my research, I do all this stuff, but that's those guys are playing uh, no limit hold 'em. You're yep. never gonna get the straight answer. The bills were flying to see all these quarterbacks. Everyone thought they were gonna take a quarterback at ten. What do they end up doing? They end up trading back taking a corner. Yep. Okay. So I don't believe anything. After the draft, the guys that they add, you know, you have a ninety man roster. You're mm-hmm. almost gonna cut that in half. Yep. So some of these guys that come in, okay. All right, they want to take a look at this guy. They want to take a look at this guy. Oh, wait, McDermott coached him here. Oh, Frazier has experience with this guy here. <laughs> that's what happens. All these guys come in. They bring and in the guys that also, they're
3: familiar with, they're comfortable they with, and that's just yeah, how it goes. They go,
1: they go by the wayside. A lot of these guys bring talent in. Like Let's say, for example, if Frazier had a guy. He brings him in now. He's installing his, def- his defense. So he brings a guy that he coached. To be in the ears of these younger guys to tell them about the defense, things to look for, things that they experienced. And also. and then all of a sudden, when July rolls around, that guy has his luggage and he's leaving. All right, thanks. Thanks for being a coach for me off the field. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So you never know. And if these guys end up uh, making enough plays in camp, they end up sticking around a little bit.
3: Well, no, and I can, I can understand that. So then I guess... Out of everyone that the Bills signed for their front office, though, outside of a, a new GM, and there's a lot of influential people coming in here to, that we brought in to kind of manage this team. Which one of them do you think is going to make the biggest impact? McDermott. Really? You think McDermott's a, So No, but that's, why I, but that's why I asked the question, because they believe in this one-voice philosophy now, and they didn't used to have that someone got them to the point where they believed that this was a good idea, not just for one franchise, but for both of the Pagoulas sports franchises. It's McDermott. McDermott was the guy that they met, and then they it's like they flipped the script on everything they wanted to do within all of their sports organizations.
1: Now, if you look at McDermott's record and McDermott, what he's done in the past, and I've echoed this. I think I even posted an article on Hashtag Sportsnet um, .net about it. He like he was very close to Andy Reid in his first couple of years with Philadelphia, and then Andy Reid ended up taking over as GM. Now they ended up going to you know conference championships back to back. They had 11 win seasons, 10, 11 win seasons, 12 win seasons with Andy Reid being the GM and the sole voice of what's going to happen with my team. Mm-hmm. Now did they win any? No, but they were very successful and they got to a lot of championships and a tough NFC. So I think one of the one of the draws that mcdermott had was he probably he probably said listen i want complete autonomy i know i'm not going to get it right away but for me to be the head coach of your football team i'm very detail oriented everyone knows that let me uh, let me have control of the roster and i can build you a winner here and then pakula's like listen i don't want anything about this i don't care go ahead, take it. Go, ahead. <laughs> okay. go ahead you got anybody else you want to bring in yeah bean will follow me in about three months just uh, just uh, let me be here, and then he'll follow me in about three months. But hasn't he been there in Carolina for the last twenty years? Yeah, he'll still follow. Me. Don't worry about it.
3: Well, I think you look at it as he saw Dave Gettleman ahead of him and just couldn't, knew he wasn't going to get ahead. And so he's like, "Listen, I, I have to. This guy's old, but he's not going to retire anytime soon. So if I want, no, no. The shot, thing
1: was, if if if, if uh, Carolina had another season like they did this year, he was gone. He would have been fired anyway. So he left while good nah, we, so job.
2: Were you okay with the timing of Doug Whaley being let go?
1: Uh, if you understand that the bill or the, the NFL is a business, then you completely understand it. If you, um, if feeling, you liked sir. Whaley as a person, <laughs> then you feel shitty about it.
2: Well, I'm just saying, like the timing, like because he got let go. Well, I think the timing was perfect
1: after the. Trip. No, I think it was Which perfect. Which is understandable. It says, hey,
2: listen, your job's
3: done here. You have no more work left to do. There's no scouting going forward for you, but we need you here because of the connections you've made and the just the inroads as far as scouting goes, plus the the trade communication between he and Kansas (laughs) City. It had been going on for weeks, apparently. They still needed that. So I'm sure the conversation was had well before this, that he understood that this was something that was coming.
1: Well no here let me under, let me try to expl, uh, let me explain it coming from my background which is teaching you don't fire a teacher in March nope. when you, you know your school's going to be assessed on how your kids pass the Regents exam in June you wait till July 1st to get yep. rid of your teacher let yep. them do their job let them teach the kids they've been teaching for the past five months let them go through that and then if you want to get rid of them, July 1st, they're gone after all the kids take the exams. You don't fire them in March. So that's the approach that they took. You had all this information from all the scouts, from Whaley, from all this stuff. Listen, let's use this to our advantage because it would just be lost if we fire him now. Let's let it and, – and Whaley had it in his contract that if he gets fired, he still gets paid. So
3: Yeah, well, and exactly. So he – in his mind, he's like, okay, well, I'm taking care, care of it for a while. So I can kick my feet up and just wait to see what comes my way. So really, it is kind of an amicable separation on that end. The fact that he knows Mm -hmm. he's still getting compensated. Yes, I'm sure he's disappointed. But as you heard in the serious interview he did, he understands he didn't win enough. He didn't get enough done. And so he gets it. And and even if that's just lip service, he's setting himself up to get another job, even if it's not a GM job, somewhere else in the NFL. Now, Mm -hmm. guys, as we do every week, we're going to kick all of this off with our Bills News update. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of this show. It was Memorial Day, people. And that brings up one question to me as a Bills fan. I mean, let let me tell you, this Memorial Day was fantastic. The weather was surprisingly nice in the afternoon and evening. Every single day. And with my girlfriend out of town, my weekend literally revolved around grilling, drinking with friends, bonfires, a real Cohiba Cuban cigar, and cranking out some of the best ribs that I've made in the smoker to date.
2: I don't know whether or not to blame your goddamn ribs for why I threw up on Sunday. I wasn't drunk. I've been eating those ribs. I was totally for- fine at 11.30. <laughs> I'm yakking in the toilet.
3: You know what it is? I'll blame
2: your <laughs> goddamn ribs.
3: I ate ribs. I was fine. Everyone else who ate but but there were some other questionable side things going on at that party. Some guys who were smoking and cooking and grilling for the first time. There was a lot I of I mi- can
2: blame Allie and her goddamn baking.
3: There was a lot of mixed dishes there with some questionable tactics, but another in any event. My weekend was all about just relaxing and having fun. But that's not the only thing Memorial Day weekend is about. It's about taking time to remember and honor the men and women of our armed services who have literally given their you know, given their time and, their, in some cases, their lives in defense of this country. And every single year I see a blurb in the paper that I'm shocked hasn't gotten any more traction than it currently has. Should the Bills retire number 61 in honor of former Buffalo Bill offensive line, offensive line sensation, wall of famer and U.S. Army veteran, and the only pro athlete to sacrifice his life in the line of duty during the Vietnam War, Bob Kelsey. I mean, Mario, what do you do? You know about Bob Kelsey and his background? I do. Okay. So knowing what you know, I mean, it would personally take me too long to tell his entire story or to fully illustrate the kind of person that you're talking about here. I mean, he was a natural born leader. He was a great human being. I, I'll say this in the in the write up for our podcast tonight. I'm going to post a sports Sports Illustrated article that was written back in 2014. That just I mean, I tear up when I read it because it tells you the type of guy he was, and you know, he was a hero. And even though he had a gig as a professional football player locked down, he made the decision to put that and the impending birth of his first child aside and to deploy in Vietnam. Not because he had to, but because he couldn't stand the idea of using his profession to get him a spot in the reserves when he swore an oath to go fight for his country if they needed him. I I mean, his name is on the wall of fame. But at what point do we retire his number? I mean, right now, number 61 is being worn by a guy named Jordan Mudge. Jordan Mudge. Sure it's not Mills? No, his name is Mudge, and he's, he's nothing more than a camp body, which makes it a certainty that this season, that number won't be worn for a single regular Caesar game, season game. I mean, I look around the NFL. There's 139 retired numbers. Most of them are Super Bowl winners, record holders. I mean, they, they, they've done something special. I mean, the that's Bills hit
1: 139.
3: 139 retired numbers.
2: One of them is Pat Tillman.
3: Well, and that's my point. I mean, the Bills had thing, two: yeah. Jim Kelly and Bruce Smith. But I'm looking at Pat Tillman's number is retired. So why wouldn't Bob Kelso be included in that?
1: Arizona State retired 42 of Pat Tillman. So it didn't just go to the pros. It went down to college, too. I mean, I'm not looking and the to re- – Well, you go. No, no, I'm saying the reason why that is is um, I think a lot of fans that go into – I mean, other than you and a few other select individuals that walk into that stadium that look at the Wall of Fame, they don't they don't know who that is. I bet you to, to a fan, they know who Pat Tillman is. Every year on my birthday, they run his story. You know what I mean? That's yeah. what happens. I mean, it has to go to exposure. This guy, it, it was in Vietnam. You, you try to find someone that, that knows the story about that or knows it. Like, you told me the story just now. Mm-hmm. I read it three days ago when you were talking to me about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know I, know, I know some of the story about it. I'd retire his number. You'd retire his number.
3: I mean, I'm not trying to take anything away from Jim Kelly or Bruce Smith. Who aren't no, the only two no. players in Bill's history to have their numbers retired. Because they're both Hall of Famers. And I'm sure Thurman will end up there someday too. That's not to take anything away from them, but it's to say that you know, I'm not trying to diminish their contribution. I'm just thinking that if anybody on the wall of fame right now deserves who who played a snap of football for this team deserves to have their number retired, it's gotta be Bob Kelsey. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just I don't understand guys for anyone listening to this podcast let's try to get something started here let us can we start talking about this get this some traction because the man and his family deserve that that's my take anyway and so in a belated Memorial Day celebration I'd like to raise my glass and a toast to Bob Kelsey Chris Mario cheers cheers around boys
1: Ugh. Thank you, sir.
3: And then moving on, Marcel Darius, resurgence Senator <coughs> McDermott and Waffle. That's that. That's the word on the street. Now, I was listening to last Thursday's press conference, but a question came up that piqued my interest. Now, I've made no bones to everyone who <laughs> listens to our podcast but the fact that I'm a I've I've got a heart on for Marcel Darius. I mean, I'm a fan of his.
2: You Every- did cry. When he, last summer, when he got busted for weed, on the podcast, you did break a little tear. It was very uncomfortable for me, but that's because you care because you're an Alabama fan.
3: It's because I care about Marshall Darius as a person just because there's some humanity to this. But I'm a Darius fan ever since he broke Colt McCoy's arm, returning that fumble recovery in the national title game. His career here We're in Buffalo, though, but, but I will say that his career here in Buffalo, Mario, can, Mario, can you agree with me, has been up and down. I mean, he's had a career that's <laughs> been tumultuous. I mean, he's gone from standout rookie, pro bowler, highest, played def, highest paid defensive lineman to... You
1: know what? I'm not going to lie. Darius, his time in Buffalo has been a bumpy ride full of stops and starts. Yeah, and it's just going off the road sometimes.
3: I mean, it's he's he's all over the map. I, I mean, he's a dominant force when he's engaged and when he's active and when he's healthy on the defensive line. But last season, not only he, he got suspended, but but then he was active. He wasn't even a hundred percent. And then sometimes he just flat out looked lazy. Okay? He just looked like a lazy football player. I mean, a lot of a lot of people think that his attitude was made worse by the fact that Rex Ryan's lack of control and failure to foster any kind of accountability in the locker room really set Darius back. I mean, would you agree with that?
1: I think uh, when you have players like Darius, you—I mean, a specific type of player—you have to stay on him or else he will wander. I mean, he's proven that in the past, and I—you know what—I I can't. I mean, I'll let you get back to Darius, but I can't understand why all of these. Uh, Alabama players that are coming out, especially the linebackers, end up not thinking that they're in um I mean they think they're still in college. How many how many Alabama linebackers have to redshirt their freshman year in the NFL? <laughs> Raglan did it, Foster's doing it. I mean, what's Well, going Raglan
3: on? did it because of injury, Foster's doing it because of injury. I mean, both of them are jerk well, no, well, not, not both just, of them.
1: I'm, I'm being For, a wise ass.
3: But. Oh, I know. <laughs> you can break my balls all you want, man. I I roll tide. All right? You're not gonna hurt my feelings. Now, here's what I will say. By all accounts, Marcel Darius, he's been present and active for every single every single bit of the team's offseason program. And by McDermott's own admission, he's happy with what he's seen from him so far. I mean, this is his audio from his interview from BuffaloBills.com.
4: Yeah, Coach Waffle's done a phenomenal job, as as, as Coach Terrelink who also works with the defensive line. Uh, you know, I learn as much from them as, as hopefully they learn from me and and uh, you know that dynamic, and the and the and the uh, time that Marcel is putting in, uh, you know, I couldn't be happier at this point in time. I really, I really believe that uh, he's bought bought into what we're doing and what Coach Waffle is asking of the defensive front.
3: Coach Coach Waffle. I mean, for anybody out there who isn't familiar with Mike Waffle, you must not have watched HBO's Hard Knocks. He is our defense, our brand new defensive line coach, and the former coach of the Rams' defensive line which has been renowned as one of the NFL's most aggressive and physically imposing. I mean, here's a clip from HBO's award-winning show showing off Coach Waffle's kinder and gentler side. Don't fucking challenge me. I don't want any bullshit. I don't want any fucking body language. When I say jump, you say how fucking high. We're going to fucking work. I am not scared. You could probably fuck me up, have a good time trying to do it. I ain't scared. That is Coach Mike Waffle in a meeting with his defensive lineman. (laughs)
1: God. I thought you took a a sound bite from my dad. That's
3: (laughs) in the film room. That's in the film room. Imagine what it's like on the field on Sundays. But that's the type of coach. I I will just say that it, it doesn't get much better than that. Darius is one of the most highly paid players in the NFL. And when he's at his best, he certainly seems worth every penny. When he's being that dominant, pocket-pushing defensive tackle...
2: He is a top-five D-tackle in the NFL. but, but, But when he's not engaged,
3: it's tough for me to justify that paycheck. It seems like the one thing that he's never gotten so far in his Buffalo tenure is a guy like Mike Waffle. So to put them two together and see what might come – I'm excited to see what comes out of that marriage. I mean, Mario, what do you think?
1: You know what, Drew? The NFL, especially defenses, are made of studs. You have to have studs at, at certain positions. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little bit academic here in a second. You know what? If you're running a 3-4 defense, your stud has to be that nose. He ran a 3-4 at Bama. He ran, he ran a 3-4 in Rex Ryan's defense, which is the simplest defense. You're a two-gap player. What are you worried about? He said it was too difficult, and Bart Scott torched him for it. If you're if you're a four-three defense, which McDermott tends to run, mm-hmm. if you're a four-three, your stud has to be that Mike Backer, okay? So because he, he controls the flow throughout the middle, and then obviously you got your safety over top. Here's my here's my point. Marcel Darius is being paid as a three-four nose tackle. He's not being paid as a four-three defensive tackle. That's the, that's the problem I have with what's going on with Darius. You know, it's, it's funny. I looked, it up, I looked up a couple things. He guys, 27. Does he feel like he's been through, with the Bills throughout the entire streak of the playoff drought? He's been here forever. Samario, so clearly you have a
3: problem with Marcel Darius and his lack of, uh, I don't know, his lack of, self, lack of self-control, well,
1: listen, lack of... Listen, the, the, the only thing about it is, Drew, is that I know, uh, you know, being a coach and being a teacher... I know that there's certain people you can approach with an iron fist and there's certain people that you got to coddle and Darius seems like one of those guys when the going's good he's good he'll be the, he'll be the man for you he'll be the stud when the goings don't go good he hangs his head he maybe doesn't make a running test maybe he decides to go street racing maybe he decides to you know explore some K2 who knows?
3: I do. I, I. just. I don't see him being the type of guy, and I think that. I think that if I see, and I get that. I get where your sentiment's coming from, but what I see is a guy who's extremely coachable.
2: Mario, would you? I mean, the, some of the things that you've just spoken about, Marcel Díaz, is, is there any kind of comparison that you would put with him and Albert Hainsworth?
1: You know. I looked at my computer just as we were having this discussion about Darius because I'm going, wait a minute, failed a, failed some tests, came in out of shape, got paid a bunch of money. What was that guy's name again? Thank you for bringing his name up.
3: Oh, uh, Dude, if you're really trying to compare Marshall Darius to Albert Hainsworth, I'll bite the nose off your face. I swear to God. I don't care how tall you are. I'm going to need a letter listen, to get listen, there, but I'll we get have,
1: it. We, I, you could know, bite the nose off my face. But we have people that compare Ruben Foster to Bobby Wagner. And that makes me want to rip my hair out. <laughs> well, the, not just your hair, people, your man bun. You know, the the, you know, the hair and the man bun would be gone. I'd look like Drew. I'd look like Drew.
3: <laughs> All right, guys. So essentially what we've gotten from this conversation is that you don't uh, – you're not – you're still not impressed with the early season praise of Marcel Darius. Listen. You, you, the guys you're you're done. willing to I'm hold not, out – Judgment until you see it on the field.
1: I, I, listen, the guy's a stud. I'm not denying the guy's ability of what he could do. I, I still can't believe he's 27. It feels like he's been here for 25 years. But the thing is, when you pay a guy that kind of money, they paid him when they were in a 3-4 system. You pay a nose tackle... That kind of money. You don't pay a defensive tackle that kind of money. That's the only thing that I have a little bit, a little bit of reservation about. Is he a stud? Yes. Does he have a nice, good five, four or five years left? Yeah. But
2: I is, don't know. Is let me ask you this. I'm just because I don't know. I don't know ins and outs of football like you do. But this is my only question. How many defensive coordinators does he have? Is that a
1: legit question? How many hits he is. had? He's, I
2: mean, he's that, had
1: about as many as Leotis McKelvin has. It, Hold on. Reminds me of Aaron Williams. I'll look it Williams. up right now.
3: Reminds me of Aaron Williams. Aaron Williams was constantly saying, listen, oh, oh good, another, near, another year, another new D coordinator who wants to do things a different way. Continuity has been our downfall. So a guy like Darius, yes, he's a very talented player. He would go to any other team in football and be a dominating player. We've just had so much turnover within coaching, within the front office, that there's he really hasn't found a foothold yet.
2: Is it, is it Schwartz, Patton, who, who's your uh, – uh, Listen, Brian, you ready? Rob you Brian.
1: ready? Here we go. Since 2011, the year he was drafted, here you go. I'm going I'm to I'm cycle through him. O- only two years in a row did he have the same coordinator. This there is the scary part. Twenty eleven, George Edwards. Twenty twelve, Dave Wanstead. Twenty thirteen, Mike Pettin. Twenty fourteen, Jim Schwartz. Twenty fifteen, Dennis Thurman. Twenty sixteen, Dennis Thurman. And this year, he has Leslie Frazier.
3: So, so when you're talking well, about, about this, Ryan. does that does that not play a role in all of this? Like, you're True. talking it about a plays a, guy a
1: role in a linebacker or a secondary player. You're a two gap player mm. down in the trenches. You put your hand in the dirt, you control two gaps, and you put pressure where you need to put pressure. But that's not his role. He's a
3: penetrating defensive tackle. That's his job. He plays his best in a 4-3 scheme where he can penetrate, where he's not a two-gap guy. Where he's a one-gap, kind of like Kyle Williams. He and Kyle Williams, Do do you remember the cold front when we were one of the most dominating defensive lines in football? You know why? Because you had two penetrating defensive tackles that you basically pulled both guards in for, which put both defensive ends out on an island against an offensive tackle. That's why. That's why that defensive line was so dominating. And I think that if Darius can get back to being the guy he was back in those kinds of schemes, this this whole defense could see see a solid uptick.
1: That's Is just, Jim Schwartz your defensive coordinator?
3: We'll see. We'll see what happens. We will see what I mean, happens. That's what to I'm coordinate. saying.
1: Schwartz is the complete antithesis of Rex Ryan in the fact that Rex Ryan loves being a three-four. He loves blitz and loves doing all this other stuff. Schwartz is like, listen, we're going to line up in base four-three, no. and we're just going to punch him in the mouth. Okay. And, and the thing about it is, when you're successful doing that, teams are like. They're not doing anything special and we yeah. still can't beat them. My favorite thing though, right. about McDermott. The cold front was amazing.
3: And my favorite thing about McDermott is that he lines guys up and sends them, "Okay, I'm going to line up a 4-3 defensive line and I'm going to send do the one thing that the Bills haven't done in years, which I've been cr- screaming for. A gap blitz with a linebacker. You know who was great at that? Reggie Ragland. I feel like the pieces are there and I feel like if they if this coaching staff feels like they're bringing Darius in the right direction, I don't know. I, I feel like that, that means good news for the Bills defense. I know, I know you're going to hate me for being a homer and for liking Darius, but, no. but in any event, I think it's a good thing. We're going to move on. So Gerald Hodges signs with the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> now, Mario, this is another one of the topics that I'm really happy you're here for tonight. It's hard being as good as I am sometimes. Listen to the show intro. <laughs> I mean, Okay, that's a bunch of crap, but I mean, I'm kidding around. But seriously, pegging two free agent linebackers as solid fits and having the team sign them two years in a row, it gives you a warm and fuzzy feeling. Or maybe that's just the booze at this point talking. I don't know. Gerald Hodges signs with Buffalo on Friday, and he kind of, to this defense, is kind of the equivalent of what Zach Brown brought a year ago. I mean, it's a one year prove it deal. And I How can understand, and I can understand why it's a one-year prove-it deal. Hodges has one year of real, quote-unquote, starting experience. Didn't play a full sixteen games, and at one point was benched for a for a violation of team rules. I mean, I don't, I I understand that San Francisco last year was a tire fire, but to bench a productive player for a violation of team rules, like I don't even know what that is. Is that just a coach trying to make a point? Or if that's I, uh, I don't know. You, I, I just I don't know what that is. Now Mario, before the podcast earlier this week, you and I chatted briefly on his signing, and you were somewhat critical of it. And while I couldn't be as eloquent via Facebook Messenger as I'd like to have been, because I mean I I did end I did end our conversation with a GIF image of an old man grabbing his crotch in a very vulgar manner. I. I'd like to know why you don't like this signing.
1: Well, first of all, let's let's be clear, and let's be in the interest of full disclosure, it wasn't that I didn't like the signing. I wasn't as high on it as you were. As I said at the onset, this is a guy who Frazier has some experience with. He was a guy that's run Frazier's defense in Minnesota, so you can take that that nice little. Uh, production of 80 tackles last year in 12 games and you could just throw it over your right shoulder and then throw the salt over your left shoulder and hopefully you have good luck with this guy <laughs> um this guy is you know what i'll you know first i'll start with the good things this guy is an animal in the run he's a great will linebacker in the run what do you have to do is, is a will linebacker in the run you need to have the cutback lane this guy has the cutback lane that is great when do when do teams run first and second down when do teams pass mostly third down Um, So if you take care of your business on first and second down, what are you going to do on third down? Does this guy cover curl to flat well? Does this guy cover the underneath route well? I think your boy Milano is going to be there third down. If if they're signing him as a two-down guy, that's great. I love it. But anything other than that, I think he's going to fall a little bit short.
3: Now here's the reasons why I loved the signing. He was graded highly (laughs) by Pro Football Focus. 21st Best linebacker in the NFL overall. That's not just taking the running game into account.
2: I thought this segment was just going to be you going, "Did I said two weeks ago?" <laughs>
3: Did, he's also the twelfth best run defender. You're right. That's where he really does make his bread and butter. But the fact that if you take his passing statistics into account, he only fell backwards to twenty first. Now I know that you are very critical of his pass coverage ability. So. Again, another reason I love the signing. George, just go to Google and look up Carson Palmer interception Gerald Hodges. What you're going to see is. It right twice a day. Dude. I love it. as soon as you
1: start talking. I'm your, I'm your fucking... You should start hitting up the Ted 2 highlights when he says, what? Clockwise rip job? Counterclockwise rip job? <laughs> I like to see the <laughs> tongue go the other way.
3: So, in any event, Gerald Hodges signing with the Buffalo Bills,
1: to me, it's.
3: It seems like a good, it's a good depth signing, if nothing else. I mean, your, your buddy over there at hashtag sports.net, uh, Paul, he loves Ramon Humber for some fucking reason. That guy can suck my ass. And you know what? Paul can too, if that's what he honestly believes. <laughs> I've had enough. Can, Anyone brings up Ramon listen. Humber taking smart, starting snaps in this defense, you
1: can all blow me. True. True. You know your, you know what your personality is. You know, um, I mean, I've listened to uh, many of the shows. I had, to, I had the privilege of talking to you for two hours prepping before the draft show. Closer, realize, he's like, he's like a kid that when he, you find out you don't like something, he's going to do that very thing.
3: So when you find out
1: you don't like Wayne, he's going to say, oh, my God, I love the ability of this guy. <laughs> he does that <laughs> to me on a daily basis, Drew. Just let, just a little uh, food for thought. Right. Every time I was like he, – he got over me because uh, I liked Ty Powell at one point who was a former quarterback who played linebacker for the Buffalo Bills. I'm like, Ty Powell could be a guy in Rex Ryan's Divas. It would be good. And then in the preseason he gets hurt. And he just gave it to me after that. He just totally annihilated me for that one.
3: <laughs> so the signing of Gerald Hodges, though, it brings me to the last thing I want to talk to you about. And I think it's an underrated storyline here that fans and a lot of the local pundits really are kind of missing in the equation. Preston Brown. You've got Preston Brown who's in a contract year. To this point, he's been average. I mean, you just tried to tell me every reason why Gerald Hodges wasn't very good at what he did as a linebacker. Well, I'll tell you, Preston Brown is a guy who he looked solid in the Jim Schwartz 4-3 defense. But outside of that, I mean, and he was good under, what's his face? Mike Pettin. Mike Pettin. Good Lord, can you breathe in through your nose anymore?
2: What are you talking about breathing? You breathe into the mic all the time.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, guys. It. Sorry.
3: No, it's okay. I'm just busting your balls. So, to this point in his career, Preston Brown has been average. I mean, he looked solid during the Jim Schwartz 4-3 era. And Mike Patton, he was useful for Mike Patton. But outside of that, he's been what you would expect out of a third-round pick at linebacker. And mm-hmm. now he's transitioning to a new defense again. <laughs> both yeah. to, to me personally, both Hodges and Brown are heading into a contract year in 2018. These are two guys who are both later-round draft picks who are trying to carve a niche in the NFL out for themselves. I have a feeling that there's a reason that they tried to argue for that one-year, you know, kind of a one-year deal for Hodges. I feel like for this, for this front office and for this coaching staff, they're looking at it as: okay, we're going to put everyone on the same level and see who can win some kind of a job here within this linebacking court. I feel like it's going to be one of the very few open competitions in training camp. I mean, when you think about what the Bills roster looks like right now with 90 guys on it, you kind of have an idea of who your starters are at most positions. I mean, someone may shock the world at wide receiver. Okay, Sammy's not, probably not going to be full go for training camp. I'm sure they'll be cautious with him. So there's going to be opportunity for some of these younger guys to catch balls, but I think we already know. Okay, Zay Jones. It's going to be Andre Holmes. It's going to be Sammy at the one spot. You know who takes that fourth? Maybe it's an NFL veteran. Maybe it's a rookie. Who knows? And who cares? I mean, those are your guys who. I mean, that, that's not really a competition. And outside of that, there's really no true competition, quote unquote, across the roster, except for at the linebacker position. Because I don't know who's starting where. I mean, Mario, who? What do you think? What who what do you think fits each one of these guys on the depth chart right now?
1: Well, I mean, um if you think Raglan's the guy in the middle that can shoot the A gap as you talked about before, that's that's great. I can I can get with that. If I was uh, if I was Preston Brown, I'd start watching miles and miles of tape of Thomas Davis, who's been in Carolina forever and is thirty four years old, twenty pounds lighter than um than Preston Brown, but a guy that could play in a Sean McDermott defense, who seems like the guy he's going to be. I mean, McDermott's going to be here for a while, as the looks of it. So if Preston Brown wants to still be here, he's got two. He's got two options. He can play balls out, and you know we always talk about guys that are on contract years having the best year of their life. Um, he can do that. We've talked about the Will spot <laughs> being I, mixed in there.
3: I think Gerald Hodges I, you know, is. I'm, Much more of an athlete, and that's why I bring this up. I think that Gerald—I hate to cut you off—I think that Gerald Hodges is very much more an athlete than Preston Brown is. He's more fluid. I mean, I've watched it. I've seen his cone. You know, I've I've looked at the numbers as far as his cone drills, how it stacks up to guys like C.J. Mosley, and you know, he's one of the better interior linebackers as far as athleticism is concerned. Now, Mm -hmm. when you stack it up against Preston Brown, I think that athletically, I, I mean, I don't doubt the kid's heart. I just look at it as, here's a guy who he's had another career that's kind of been, eh, you haven't done anything to wow me. So going into a contract year, if you suddenly wow me, I'm still going to doubt whether or not it's legitimate and whether that production can continue.
1: Say, Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. As far as Preston Brown goes, are you comfortable with him as a Mike? No, not, not at starting. all. Not at all. Not starting Nope. nope. as a backup. Nope. As a Are you backup. comfortable with him as a Sam?
3: I would, be a, I would be comfortable with him as a strong side linebacker. I would. How about a Will? Nope. He doesn't have the speed for it. He does not have the speed. He's shown it time and time again that he cannot carry a tight end up the seam. So why you're I, telling
1: me that he's a Sam linebacker. That's it. He can't play Mike or Will.
3: I don't think that he can. I, I don't think that he can't play Mike. I think that Reggie Ragland will outplay him at Mike.
1: No, no, my point is this. If you have a guy like Preston Brown that could play Sam, that could play Mike, that could play a little Will, you have a guy that could span three positions for you that has been in the league for four years. Is that not valuable to you?
3: No, that's valuable to me but is it valuable to him to stay here and earn the type of contract he's going to get for being a jack-of-all-trades and a master of none? And that's why I think that his future, that's one of the storylines of training camp coming up for us. You know, Chris and I are going to be there watching, taking notes. One of the things I'm going to be looking at is how does this linebacker kind of battle shake out? I mean, to me, it's the most interesting fight going into training camp.
1: Well, Drew, you even just said, How many opportunities is he going to have to prove that he could play as a starter at Mike, as a starter at San, as a starter, you know, any of those other positions? You think you, according to you, he's going to get beat up by everybody, so he's not going to have a lot of opportunity (laughs) to do anything anywhere. So it's either you could sign with us and play all three positions for us because we know you're an athlete and whatnot, X, Y, Z, or you could be out of the league because no one has seen tape on you in two years. That's true. So it could be one of those situations where if he doesn't win a starting job in any position, they could say, listen, we love your athleticism. We want to plug you in at certain spots. Okay.
3: I mean, I, I, think, like you it, said. I think one of the underrated storylines of the Buffalo Bills defense over the last decade, how many linebackers have we drafted and then retained? How many free agent linebackers have we brought in that really made a difference? go? I mean, well, can I honestly say that our linebacking core might have been some of the we've had some of the worst linebacking? I mean, when you looked at when we were a prominent team in the NFL, we had some of the best linebacker playing football. I mean, you're ta- you're talking about Shane Conlin. You're talking about guys like uh, my my favorite guy Daryl Talley.
0: Sam Coward, my favorite Bill Ever.
3: You're you're talking about Sam Coward.
1: Sam Coward could bring the thunder. You're talking about good wait wait. wait, wait. Wait, hold, hold on. Hold on. Is it your right shoulder that the blood flow starts to stop before you have a stroke or a heart <laughs> attack? Because I swear I heard Kavika Mitchell. Yeah,
2: I did. You're welcome. He picked she off Rivers. She off is food. beautiful. Okay? She <laughs> is He picked off adorable, Rivers in the end zone. But she's not a linebacker. <laughs> yeah, no. Chris,
3: thank you for trying to contribute. High five. So, I
2: know my that linebackers! Was awesome.
3: So essentially what I'm trying to get at is the Bills throughout the drought, <laughs> one of the biggest things that we've had is the, a lack of talent at linebacker. And that's, that's important to any defense.
1: Oh, true, true. We've had plenty of talent at linebacker. We just don't retain it, like you well, said. We don't retain
3: linebacker. Well, and that's the thing. Who did we retain? Who did we keep around and who did we let go? What stuck around, what didn't? The fact is, we haven't had solid linebacker play across the board, and that's what you need to have in order to be a competitive team.
1: Well, that's the thing I was trying to tell you before the draft, Drew, was the fact is that when the Bills went started throughout this whole streak, they would draft an inside linebacker, and then they would change coaches that went from a 3-4 to a 4-3, and then they'd have a middle linebacker. Inside linebacker and middle linebacker, as you know, are not the same things. Oh, If absolutely. you want to bestow and drop some knowledge on the, on your listeners, the fact is, you don't you have a guard that's allowed to run straight at you when you're an inside linebacker. you got to be able to peel off that guard. When you're a middle linebacker, you're covered and free to roam. Yep. But you're, uh, you're expected to make every single tackle that comes within your five-yard area.
3: Well, and that's why I'm but, excited to see Gerald Hodges play in this defense, and I'm worried about Preston Brown. Preston Brown, he doesn't have the same athleticism that Gerald Hodges does. And at the same time, when they're both free to ch- play and chase the ball, you're right. They could both make plays. But I feel like that's the best-case scenario. What happens if this ends up being the solidification of our linebacking core? What if I'm wrong? True. What if, what if our weak-side linebacker woes aren't as bad as they seem? And now that we've signed Gerald Hodges, he starts for us as a, as a guy who's finally getting to start well being – like you just said it. He just played in a 3-4 defense, Gerald Hodges did. One of his weaknesses coming out of college was shedding blocks. Well, now he's going to be an uncovered off-the-ball linebacker who can use his athleticism to chase. That's fantastic. You're laughing, but I see us having probably the best three linebacker rotation we've had in a long time. Ragland, Brown, and Hodges might be the best three linebackers we've had on the field at any point in time over the last couple years
1: case of beer hodges doesn't make the opening day roster
3: oh i will take that you all heard it here on the rock Pile report that is mayor granada from hashtag sports
2: we got it time stamped
3: we got it time stamped it's on there it's a bet my friend all right guys and that brings us to our final segment for the night this week now, now after the draft we've gone from team to team to team around the division. And, you know, we, we always, you know, each week during our podcast, we like to do the AFC East Roundup, where we go around, the, we look around the division, and we take a look at what the other teams are doing or have done that week or during that time period. And so far, we've gotten to talk to representatives from every team just to get a feel for what, you know, what their fans are thinking, what they think about their draft class that year, kind of pick their brand. <clears throat> and so this year, we're going to wrap ours up post-draft edition with a representative here from the Miami Dolphins. Travis Wingfield.
2: Honestly, I think it's more
4: of a function of Adam Gaze and what he means to this offense. Head writer. I'm with you guys, and a big salute to
2: F you to Mario Williams. The internet. Seriously, Travis, we don't know where you work. <laughs> where can we find your writing?
0: But this is Miami now. <laughs>
2: Travis, do you know what song that is?
4: No, but I'm dying over the intro, man. That's incredible. <laughs> That's the
2: theme song from Miami
3: Vice. Okay, not a local boy, so. Travis, how have you been, brother? I'm doing real good, man. How are you guys doing? Not too bad. You're a hard man to pin down. Um, busy guy over there, to, registering for college. You got all kinds of stuff going on, and and it sounds an awful lot like you've changed. Uh, you've changed locations a bit here
4: yeah uh, a couple times i guess uh so i, I originally had a, a handshake deal with another website and so that's why i left perfectville and then uh sam was pretty quick to burn that bridge so there was no going back there and then that didn't really work out so i got approached by another website uh dolphins talk.com which i guess i'm technically writing for right now i've only posted one piece but i'm kind of doing my own thing right now with uh studying the quarterbacks in the nfl so i'm kind of more focused on that right now mm-hmm. but i'm always down to talk dolphins you know that
2: oh absolutely any podcast coming from you in the future with this
4: <clears throat> well I'm, I'm trying to do one with the quarterback thing as well uh, kind of a more nfl theme like i said and then uh my former co-host kevin Dern and i have been talking about re- rebooting a dolphins podcast we're just trying to find a platform for it so uh not quite sure yet when that's gonna happen
3: So one of the things, that was kind of what our uh, previous host, earlier tonight, Mario Granada, that's one of the things. He he runs a local sports blog, but it's more about, his is more geared towards, I mean, obviously they're Bills fans, you know, Mario and Paul, the guys who run it, but at the same time, they're both, you know, they focus on the NFL as a whole, and, you know, uh, they, they focus on a lot of different things, so they can bring kind of a fresh perspective. So for someone like, you know, for what you're trying to do, that's really interesting because you can maybe, even then, as you write about your own team, bring in some of those outside influences, and it kind of gives you better perspective, I would say. You know what I mean?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And then someone on Twitter actually asked me the other day, because you know I, the following I've built on Twitter is mostly Dolphins fans, and someone said, Why are you talking about other teams' quarterbacks? No one cares about that. And I was like, well you know, without context, you know, your your analysis is really shallow. You have, if you don't know what other teams look like or other offenses look like and mm-hmm. that kind of thing, then you're going to have pretty narrow perspective on things. So I try to, you know, I'm trying to just gain as much knowledge as I can. I mean, I've watched every snap of, uh, let's see, about 26, or no, uh, 20 offenses so far. I'm, I'm going to finish up all of them here. So just trying to get more football knowledge and, and kind of give it out to the viewer as well. So, or the reader, I should say. So um,
3: I'm excited about it and, and looking forward to the season. Just to keep things rolling here, let's get into the meat and potatoes of why we have you here tonight. Now, the Miami Dolphins, they've had, I, I would say, one of their busier off-seasons that I can remember in the last couple of years. I, and, I mean, th- you're talking about a team that is perennially in the free agent market. I mean, usually we spend a lot of time panning the things that you guys are doing, I'm, I, you know, from off-season to off-season. But, I mean, you look at some of the moves you guys have made so far. You signed linebacker Lawrence Timmons, a strong safety Nate Allen. You brought in kind of a swing center guard and Ted Larson. And then you retained a number of core players who were really important to your success last season. You know, Rashad Jones, obviously he's, he's one of the most, he's probably, I, I would say arguably the most talented player on your roster outside of Jarvis Landry. Um, Kiko Alonso's back on a four-year deal. Uh, Defensive end Andre Branch, guy who kind of picked up the slack when Mario Williams went bust, which was hilarious. It's (laughs) something I'm going to bring up every time I talk to you, (laughs) just so you know. And and then Kenny Still. Now that was a monster contract. Kenny Still landed.
2: That was a great catch against Seattle in Week One. Oh goodness. (laughs) And then I was there in person for that one, so it was fun.
3: Oh man, that had to be great. Yep, (laughs) And then you guys undertook a pair of trades that I think, in my eyes anyway, kind of cancel things out. I mean, you traded for defensive end Willie Hayes from the Rams, who, in his own words, said that you got him for, quote-unquote, a stapler and coffee machine. I mean, (laughs) you gave up a sixth-round pick but got him and a seventh-round pick? Willie Hayes is no slouch at defensive end. And then he restructured his deal so that it's essentially a one-year contract. That's a steal, I want to talk to you this this left tackle Brandon Helbert for Julius Thomas nonsense. What you can you I know it's not a player for player trade but let's not bullshit each other. You know as well as I do that this whole oh hey I'll trade him to you for a 6th and you can give me to him for a 6th or a 7th. They essentially didn't want to make it a player for player deal but that's essentially what it is. Right?
4: Yeah, exactly. It was. And I Brandon Albert I don't think was part of the team's plans beyond this year and that kinda happened last year. Adam Gaze gets pretty frustrated with injury prone guys. And you're kind of seeing that with Mike Pouncey right now, which is ironic because Julius Thomas coming back the other way is an injury-prone guy as well. But Albert wasn't going to be here for the long term. I think Laramie Tunzel's two best games last year were when he played left tackle. That's his natural position. So mm-hmm. he kicks out there naturally and fits in easily there. And then uh, Albert, he was never going to play left guard. He even wanted more money from the Jaguars, even though he hasn't been that good of a player the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So I think they he was going to get cut. I think they actually announced that they cut him, and then he, it got like retracted, and then they mm-hmm. traded him because the Jaguars were interested. So... Uh, just getting rid of him. I'm not as excited about Julius Thomas as most people are that are Dolphins fans. Like, they see like the year that he had with Adam Gage you know, three years ago, which in the NFL might as well be 30 years ago. But the guy's always hurt, and uh, I mean, he didn't produce much in Jacksonville, so not really thrilled about that move at all.
3: So I, am surprised to hear that. I'll be honest, but I can see I can see the criticism. I mean, Julius Thomas to me was a guy who, when he was in, he had his best years when he was playing with one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. And from that from that point, either before that or after, he hasn't seen anything like that kind of production. And I mean, all I can ever, all I think of is how many no-name tight ends did Peyton Manning spend his career making look good. I mean, you look at Dallas Clark; he was a good, he had good hands, but he wasn't a stellar athlete. He wasn't anything special, but he looked great playing with Peyton Manning. And then whenever he would, whenever Dallas Clark would go out, they bring in Joe Schmo off the bench, who would look like a good tight end when you put him in there. So I, I, th- I almost feel like Thomas's value. People when they they look at him and declare him a good player, I laugh in fantasy football because he's a guy who goes in like the sixth round, and I, I just laugh at it because I don't understand why anyone thinks he's going to per- perform at a high level when he's only done it two years out of his entire career. So, I mean, it sounds like you feel the same way about that trade as I do. Now, take a look at all these other moves and all these other signings. Which of these was your favorite, and which one do you have the most questions about?
4: You mentioned bringing back Kenny Stills. I don't know if you'd count uh, Rashad Jones as like a... I mean, I guess he got a new contract, but he wasn't due for a new one until next year. But mm-hmm. um, he's, my, he's my favorite player. Like you said, the most talented player on the roster. I'll take him against any safety besides Earl Thomas in the NFL. So, I'm big on him. But Kenny Stills, uh, he... The way he fits the program that Adam Gase has going on and, and the way he, he kind of is a decoy for a lot of plays and sets routes mm-hmm. up for guys like Parker and Landry, and then obviously the big play element. I mean, the guy had nine touchdowns, and eight of them came from 25 or more yards. So he's a big play receiver. He's only 23 years old. He's only getting better. 24 years old. He's only getting better. And uh, and one thing that Adam Gase mentioned in, in regards to all the retention of these guys was that you know it helps so much when you have – a pro, a guys that have been in the program previously. So, like, mm-hmm. it's like when you start a new job, you know, you take six months to learn the job. These guys already come in day one. They know what's expected and they know what, what they're going to be asked to do and they're going to give you that. So, I like that mentality. The one that I didn't like was also a re signing, which was uh, Andre Branch. Um, I know we needed defensive end help really bad and we got kind of lucky that a guy like Charles Harris fell to us in the first round. Uh, he was supposed to go higher than that, according to most people that pay attention to it. But, um, it, Andre Branch, his his uh, production really tapered off at the end of the year, and he was a big reason why the running defense was so bad. And like you mentioned, William Hayes coming over probably replaces him and or Cameron Wake in some combination of ways uh, on running down. So not a big Andre Branch fan and a huge Kenny Stills fan.
3: I, see, now I, what I'll say to you is this. As a, as a guy, now this is coming not from a Bills fan perspective, but just from a guy who likes football. I look at Kenny Stills and I say, okay, you're right. He's a young player. You know he's. It looks like right now he's. According to Track, he's 25 years old. He's four years four years of experience. But I look at the money that you guys are due to pay him. I mean, hes what? So if I'm looking at his cap hit, you're taking on cap hits of nine97 and eight seven for the next uh, what? Well, I'm not counting this year. This year his cap hit's only three seven. But from there it escalates greatly. I mean, when you're talking about in the grand scheme of wide receiver salaries, you're right. He's not getting paid Des Bryant money, but he's also not getting paid middle-of-the-road money either. I mean, that's that, that's a sizable contract. Are, do, do you have any concern that that may, at some point down the road, come back to haunt you guys?
4: I really don't because, like you would mentioned, uh, in comparison to the rest of the league, you know, the salary cap's gone up so much that that money really... I mean, technically, he's getting paid, and if you compare the percentage of the salary cap that it takes up, he's getting paid the same amount that Brian Hartline got, you know, four years ago. on that awful off mm-hmm. a contract for a, a guy that really was a one trick pony in that's terms of true. basically running a, a hitch or an out and couldn't do much more than that. So, and like I said, I, I'm a big believer that he's an ascending player. I mean, he was awesome with the saints with Drew Brees. That's a different story. 2015 comes over and it's a complete miscast and Bill lasers. I, I don't know what kind of offense. He's
3: running. <laughs> I was going to say, and I don't then, know how you, I don't know what kind of offense you can tell that you call that. Um, I, I just assume like when I want to try to envision what it would look like, like a physical manifestation of it, I'm picturing one of the garbage cans outside of Chris's house on fire, like <laughs> raccoons kind of hanging up. Like it was awful. You guys, I, he had tools and just just grossly misused them.
4: The number of times they ran those little run-pass options where Tannehill would fake the give and then and sprint out to the left and have, like, a receiver just hanging out there, its it was like a college offense that just didn't fit. And, <laughs> and Kenny Stills was the biggest. Uh, he suffered the most from it out of anybody, I thought. Mm-hmm. So, you know, last year and in, in the Seattle game, the, the big drop, that hurt. But then he came back and had a big one in the Bengals game. He had the game winner against you guys at home against Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he's a big play threat, like I said. And I, I think that he's an ascending guy that uh, – that Adam Gaze is a big fan of, and, and honestly, for me, if Adam Gaze gives him the appro- approval, then I'm all into because I think that he just—I
3: think the world of Adam Gaze. So that's well, kind of where I'm at. Well, and it's, and now you had said something earlier that kind of uh, piqued my interest. You were talking about Ch- uh, Charles Harris. You said that most fans didn't think that he would fall to Miami. So so that was the consensus in Miami. I mean, we so now you want to talk about the draft. I want to I want to pick your brain about this. Your draft picks. There's three of them that actually stand out to me. You know, obviously, I don't pay attention to every all seven rounds of your draft just because I I can only I can only look at the color teal for so long, like then I start <laughs> to get nauseous. But <laughs> so the in the first round, you guys, you're saying that the fan base didn't really believe that Charles Harris would fall to you guys.
4: I don't know if I'd say the fan base as much as the 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 draft scouts that I really trust mm-hmm. and that I, I value their opinion. A lot of them that I saw had him going to either Indianapolis at 15, but then Malik Hooker fell, who I thought was a hell of a player. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Washington at 17 had mentioned they were really interested in Charles Harris, but then Jonathan Allen fell. So that kind of offensive run in the top 10 that we saw with all the receivers and quarterbacks going Mm -hmm. really pushed some of those uh, blue-chip defenders down. And I don't think Charles Harris is necessarily a blue-chip guy, but uh, everything we're hearing from the Dolphins camp right now is that he just works hard and and he's he's kind of going under Cameron Cameron Wake's wings right now. I know that's like a you know off season trope type of thing, mm-hmm. but I'm excited about. It. I think he's a good player. I like this tape in Missouri. He's got that Dwight Freeney type spin. So I think I think that he was targeted to go top twenty, and he happened to get to Dolphins mm-hmm. twenty two. So not crazy, but a nice pick nonetheless.
3: Well, and I think honestly, a lot of the teams. Okay, so you in the first round you drafted obviously the lowest of any AFC East team. I mean the Patriots didn't have a pick, and then the Bills. Well. I'd say you weren't slotted to draft. You know, you were slotted to be the lowest drafting team in the AFC East. But I think that you guys really benefited from the fact that that run on quarterbacks happened. Because when yeah. that happened, you know, you say, "Okay, it's only three players," but what that does is it creates chaos on other teams' draft boards. You know, they're they're not banking on these quarterbacks being off, and now they're saying, "Okay, well." At this pick, I would have taken Charles Harris, but like you said, Malik Hooker's there. Okay, well, now I'm taking Malik Hooker. Well, the next three teams, maybe they're not good fits for a defensive end slash 3-4 outside linebacker. So he just continues to kind of go until someone there fits his. So I think it it created a lot of chaos, obviously. But you guys ended up landing a player now who's, by all I mean, I watch a lot of SEC football. He's a good football player. The question I have is, does he, because I see him as more of a 3-4 outside linebacker. I mean, you look at the guys who have really thrived, who came out of Missouri. Michael Sam. Shane, Michael (laughs) Sam. Shane Ray. Shane Ray is the perfect example here. He fits really well into what the Broncos do because he works in that 3-4 system. I'm just, I mean, do you guys don't run a ton of 3-4 looks, do you? Or or like 4-3 overs where you kind of overload the line with a guy like kind of how we do with Lorenzo Alexander? I mean, do you guys run a lot of that?
4: They'll do a little bit of the 4-3 over, like you mentioned, but uh, there's not really very many elements of a 3-4. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one thing he does need to do is get a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger, like you mentioned, for the to fit the scheme mm-hmm. a little better. Uh, we do play a more of that wide nine, which I'm not really sure why, because I don't think any team that's ever ran it has had much success with it. But, um, you know, they, they play that wide nine where they kind of split the, the defensive ends out, and it's going to be interesting to see where they put him, because right now Cam Wake plays that, you know, He's he's rushing the right tackle yep. on the offensive line, and so you're not going to take him out of the game on pass rushing situations. No, but you want to have Charles not. Harris in the game at all times for pass rushing situations as well. That's why he's there for as rookie year. You know that, that's what he'll be doing his rookie year. So I'll be curious to see if they gonna, if they're going to play him kind of on that uh, like five technique on the outside or right up over the the left tackle's mm-hmm. uh, outside shoulder pad or what they're going to do. But I think he needs to bulk up a little bit if he's going to be. Uh, a a base 4-3 down defensive end.
3: Well, and that's what I thought looking at him, and that's one of the reasons why I didn't even bother looking. I didn't bother scouting him myself because I looked at it and I said, okay, we're transitioning to a 4-3 defense. I've got so many players to look at. I'm not going to spend any time on Charles Harris because I don't see him fitting what we're going to be trying to do. So it'll be interesting to see how you guys utilize him going into next season because I'm sure he's, I mean, obviously he's your first-round draft pick. They're going to find a role for him. It's just going to be trying to decide what that role is going
2: to be. It's gonna be interesting if he, when we play him, if he's gonna like line up on an end and go against Cordy Glenn, veteran, or who we're projecting as our right tackle, Deion Dawkins.
3: Eh? I mean, rookie on rookie, rookie action yeah. would be fun to watch, but at the same time, I feel like if anybody's rushing from their right side, it's probably gonna be Cam Wake for you guys, right? Yeah, he's
4: been he's been there since oh nine. That's a good point uh, that Chris made, but I, I think that I um, know football. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Um babe welcome, what, to the, welcome to the conversation.
3: Yeah, when, when he's uh, when, when he gets one right, he likes to pat himself on the back
2: a little bit. High five, Chris. <laughs> like, like uh it. Barry Horowitz. Barry Horowitz. <laughs> if you remember w- w- WWE Jobbers from ninety five. Oh my god. He's 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 obsessed with <laughs> wrestling. He loves
4: it. That's a hell of a throwback. Impressed.
3: So Moving on to your second-round pick. Now, this is, again, another guy that I scouted heavily for the Bills because I thought, hey, he's a guy who could be there second round, third round. We have a huge need at linebacker. Raquan McMillan from Ohio State. He's a guy who looked like he could come in and be a starter for the Bills just based on everything I saw. CoverOne.net actually did a really great I, – I don't know if – Travis, have you do you follow his work over there? Yeah, at Turner's? Twitter I do, yeah. Did you see his article about Raquan McMillan? I uh, didn't know. Go check it out. He breaks it down with film, breaks it down with film study and just what he sees. You know, I mean, you're talking – the kid's attending scout school. I mean, he, he gets it. Reading that, I didn't know who McMillan was and I immediately became a cheerleader for the guy. So it kills me to see that he ended up on your guy's roster. <laughs>
4: <laughs> That's awesome. I'll check that out. I, I, yeah, he was my favorite pick as well for the Dolphins. Uh, in the draft, even though the guy that I, I was banging the table for was sitting there, and we didn't get him, who the was safety that? from UConn, Obi Melophon, who I was I had a man crush on him. Really? But uh,
2: yeah, that's interesting because Drew Drew had a man crush also on his safety, but it was Buddha Baker.
4: That was my other one. That's a Washington boy. He's, he's yeah. a baller too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so Raekwon, I, I'm a big fan of his. I, I went and read some stuff about him, and you know he's only 20 years old, which is awesome because he's been a three-year starter on Ohio State huh? yep. since, a, since he was 17 mm-hmm. years old, and he kind of grew into a, a veteran leadership role on that defense. I heard a quote from one of the other linebackers on Ohio State. I can't remember the guy that it was, but he said that they said, you know, how do you kind of prep? you know, pre-snap or what's your, what's your keys or what do you look for? And he goes, I don't know. I just do what Raekwon says. So he's, <laughs> he's the, he, he's the quarterback of that defense. That's impressive for a 20 year old. And the way he comes downhill against the run, yep. he doesn't make any false steps. He's always in the right hole. And he, he's a, such a sound tackler, which was such a big problem for the Dolphins last year was tackling and, and keeping plays in front of them and, and getting the guys to the ground. So really excited about that move. Now yeah. One that's
2: because you got Tico.
3: Well, and that was, I, it's <laughs> funny. That actually feeds into one of the questions I wanted to ask you, having you on the show tonight. Raekwon McMillan is a steal for you guys where you got him. And he represents a huge value to your defense because like you said, his, he, he in the run game. He just has great natural instincts. You know, I look at you know, I'm an Alabama guy. I look at Reggie Raglan. One of the things that made Raglan's not a quick guy. He's not fast, but he made a lot of impact plays because he just had a good instinct for, Hey, this is how this play is going to, this is almost like they know how the play is going to unfold as it's happening. Well, Raekwon McMillan looks like he does the same kind of a thing. He processes plays as they're happening quicker than the guys in front of him. So he can, okay, I know that this is where the hole's going to be. So even though he's not the, again, he's not a a burner. You know, Raekwon doesn't strike me as a true sideline to sideline guy. His instincts are so good, he's going to put himself in a place to make a play. That seems to be a very stark contrast to Kiko Alonso. And I was interested to see that you guys gave him that contract extension, especially knowing you guys have Raquan McMillan on the roster. I mean, this is a kid who he's going to, I mean, for where you drafted him and for his talent level, he's going to command significant snaps. Now, I haven't analyzed your depth chart enough. What do you guys have at linebacker this season? What are you coming into this year with? I think you pretty much
4: hit the nail on the head in regards to Raekwon and Kiko kind of being polar opposites of each other. And I, yeah, I'm not a big fan of Kiko either. I thought that he had some moments, but it's kind of just like a, a, a guessing game with him, whereas Raekwon is more of a, a studious and a you know pre-snap read type of guy. Mm-hmm. I think that um, the <clears throat> drafting Raekwon is really interesting, what it does to the depth chart, because they brought in Lawrence Timmons, like you mentioned earlier, and I thought that Lawrence was going to be a three-down linebacker for us, but now... It, you know, I think Kiko probably has to be just because he gave him that much money. He's, mm-hmm. he, you're committed to him long-term. So I think you hope that he's playing three downs, and you only have two guys that will play three downs sometimes, just one, you know. So I think that it's going to be between Raquan and uh, Timmons to see who plays that third down. And it will depend on the down distance, really, because, you know, Timmons is a good blitzer, and he can get in some passing lanes, and he can cover some guys, you know, in the middle of the field as well. But I think that Raquan offers a lot more, mm-hmm. like you said, against the run. And uh, just... In terms of getting guys in the right spot, so I think that'll be a good camp battle to watch out for. But beyond that, they're pretty thin. Um, they signed a guy from the CFL that was, you know, supposed to be a, a hot prospect, but we'll see how that works out. And then, uh, yeah, beyond that, it's basically Koamisi who's already hurt again, and then um, that's anyone's guess from there.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I actually just tweeted out to you, Cover One's Raquan McMillan. Yeah, be sure so, to give that
3: a share and let. The, if you're a out oh, cool, and if you're a Dolphins fan out there listening to this right now, which Man, God bless you if, you if you're showing up to listen to my show as a Dolphins fan. God bless you. <laughs> but go ahead and check it out on Travis's Twitter because it's it's going to give you a ton of inside information and insight as to who Raekwon is as a player. Now, in the third round, this is the other player that I was really interested in that I saw you guys drafted. Cordrea Tankersley. I watch, you know, I I watch a ton of college football. I focus on the SEC, but you obviously, if you're playing in four primetime games a year, you have to take notice of who the players are on Clemson.
2: You have to. And if they're going to beat Alabama in the national title (laughs) game. And if you end up, if you're the team that
3: we beat and we kind of have a feeling we're going to see you again in the title game, I, I pay close attention. Tankersley is a really interesting pick for you guys at that position. I feel like, you know, I've I've heard all this talk. I mean, last year you guys took Xavier Howard very high in the draft. You know, you took him, uh, what, he was your second-round pick? Yeah,
4: they traded up to get him, too.
3: So you traded up to get a cornerback in the second round of last year's draft. Then you traded to bring Byron Maxwell to the roster. Then you do, uh, who's your other guy? I mean, you've got Tony Lippett, but who's the guy, uh, something with a P. What's his last name? Uh, There's Bobby McCain plays a slot. Okay, but okay, so maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Byron McCain, Tony
4: Lippett, Maxwell, and then uh, Howard. That's the top three, and then McCain plays the slot, and then from there it's pretty much
3: Tankersley. So now Tankersley, I want to know with the pick in the third round. I mean, that's it's not exactly it's not as high as a second or first round pick because usually those guys, if you take a player there, he's not intended to be just a depth rotational guy. I scouted Cordrea Tankersley, and I mean, I feel like his skill set. I don't know. I don't know how it fits in with your group and whether or not he has what it's going to take to really fight for a starting job out of that group. I mean, he's got a lot of guys ahead of him. Would you agree?
4: Yeah, I do. And that was a draft pick that, like I mentioned, a lot of the guys that I respect in terms of their, their knowledge of the Dolphins draft and, and the draft in general, they were big on Cordray Tankersley, and they thought it was a good pick at 97. And he probably did fall you know, a decent amount because of the amount of defensive backs that went off the board in the Mm -hmm. first two three rounds so I guess value wise you see that there but as far as the player goes I mean there's not really value if you don't like the player and I don't really like the player that much myself so uh, you know there was one game I think it was Virginia Tech you mentioned they were on national tv x amount of times and you know I've seen them play a a billion times and Mm -hmm. all that good stuff but there was a game against Virginia Tech where they throw a a little post pattern on his side and he misses the tackle and then the guy gets up and reverses field and Tankersley just like basically stands there and watches the play happen. Yep. And I like wanted to throw up watching that because I'm like, this is the guy that we're going to bring in to, you know, hopefully one day start alongside Xavier Howard or maybe Tony Lippert or whatever it is. And, yep. and he's out there giving that kind of effort. So, uh, I'm not a big fan of his game either.
3: I mean, I looked at Tankersley, and here's what I saw. Because I scouted him for the Bills. Because I said, hey, cornerback is a need on pretty much any team in the NFL. I think it's safe right. to say that every team in the NFL should be taking at least two defensive backs per draft. That's just a right. given. He had, he doesn't have elite speed. But he's got good size. Okay, So it lets him kind of play the boundary. He doesn't. I don't think he's fluid enough to play the slot. He's just not. Agreed. So you put him out there on the side, he can jam at the line of scrimmage and he's because of his height, you know, he can kind of carry if he with a receiver and stay in his hip pocket if he gets a good jam on him. Now what I didn't like about his game was that at the top of the routes, he just he loses his balance when he's running in straight line for too long and you see way too many catches where guys just ma- he's let up some huge catches down the field. And a lot of it's just because he, I don't know what it is. It's like he, his his footwork's good fr- within that 10-yard box. And then as you start to get outside of it, he starts to falter and that's where his lack of top end speed kicks in and that wide receiver just ends up getting a, just a bit of separation and it separates into a catch. That was at the collegiate level. At the NFL level, that'll get you killed. Because these are you're talking about you're going to co- you're not going to cover AJ Green like that. Mm-mm. You
4: can't. And you mentioned it's either, it's either a catcher or, or a flag because he's, he's pretty
2: grabby, too. Oh, so that a lot. his
3: hands. He's very aggressive. I even have it here. I'm looking at my notes. We had uh, NFL, uh, well, what was it, Connor Rogers.
2: Oh, yeah, for cornerbacks.
3: We had Connor Rogers on uh, when we yeah, were at cornerbacks. And I'm looking at my notes from that show for what I had written down for Tankersley. And that's the first one is he has a slow reaction to the ball in the air. So guys catch the ball around him even though he's there. And he uses his hands way too much after the snap. It's like before pre-snap within five yards, put that put that receiver on his ass. But once you start leaving the line of scrimmage, it's you know put mittens on him. I don't know what you're gonna do, but he, I feel like he's grabby enough that he could get himself in a lot of trouble.
4: You know, it's funny that he comes from Clemson too, because his scouting report sounds a lot like Byron Maxwell, which I'm you know, not a fan of his either. And there, there's the thing about the Dolphins' corners is so is such an enigma because there you can see where they can become like a really good group but you can also see where there's only really one guy that is worth a damn and i think that's i think Xavier howard will be a good player i'm not really worried about him but tony lippett is a former receiver you know he didn't want to play corner coming out of college and he's he's just stiff hip he's not he doesn't like to hit it just looks like he's kind of out there to be out there maxwell you know he had a, a decent little run there for a few games and then he had an ankle injury and sat out the playoff game which really rubbed me the wrong way so you question where his motives are at and then uh yeah, so Lippitt and Maxwell, I'm not too big on. Tinkersley, not too big on. it. I like Howard, and I do think Bobby McCain, who's like 23, 24 years old too, in the slot is getting better each year. I think that he'll be a good player, but I'm really concerned about the cornerbacks in Miami.
3: Really? So going into training camp, it's safe to say that that's one of the positions that you don't feel. Again, kind of like you just said about linebacker. You don't think that you guys are as deep. You think cornerback is also on that list of concerns?
4: I would say cornerback's number one for me, yeah.
3: Oh, Wow. All right, then. Well, so then, I guess, is it safe to say that Cordray Tankersley is your least favorite pick of the draft?
4: Yeah. Yeah, just because I, I thought there was more value there. I, I, honestly, I actually wanted Isaac Asiata in that spot. We ended up getting him two rounds later, so it shows how much I know.
3: <laughs> well, see, that at least that worked out for you. Yeah. So if you could put a letter grade on the entire draft for the Miami Dolphins this year, what would you give it?
4: Oh, man, you're going to make me do that. Uh, let's yeah. give it a – let's go with a B-minus.
3: All right, that's fair that's fair because I mean you guys did you guys I feel like you got good value for some of the picks like you said Isaac Asiata fell he was a guy you liked and then you know I'm, I, I gave the bills draft if we're being completely you know transparent I hated our draft but did then you, after, but then after talk I mean I was
2: you said C+ plus.
3: I said I gave it a C+ plus, but then after talking to a lot of people about it and you know people who really study this stuff. They made me feel a little bit better about some of our draft picks, and it's it's a very blue-collar draft. You're, you're Not a lot of flash, but what you got was a lot of players who are going to show up every single game, and you don't have to worry about being a liability. And that, in and of itself, is worth its weight in gold, because I feel like we haven't had one of those in forever. I mean, most of our drafts, it's been either flash or nothing.
4: So were you not a fan of the Trey White pick? Ah.
2: <sighs> I, he needed I, convincing on, on – uh, I'm it, a
3: fan of the trade, not of the pick. I'm a, I'm a guy – I don't know how you view drafts, but I view like trades within a draft and then the value of said player are mutually exclusive.
2: Right. So
3: I am a fan of the trade back because obviously we have two first-round picks next year. I'm, who wouldn't want that?
2: I will say yeah. we, did, we did do a podcast during the first round, which never got released because we all just got drunk and yelled at each other. <laughs> but Drew did say – in the audio that I own, he did say after the trade back, I don't care who we take.
3: But then, okay, so then I said I didn't care, but then Reuben Foster was there and we didn't take him. <laughs> and, that's, and yes, that is some of my Alabama bias and also knowing that we needed a weak side linebacker. And the fact that they didn't take him, I was like, okay, well, what are you doing? And then they took a cornerback who doesn't seem to really fit a zone. I mean, Kevin King, who went top of the second round, he would have seemed to be a better fit for our defense. Right. So I had a lot of problems with our draft, but after talking to people and other guys like you from other teams, I feel I feel a lot better about my draft. Hopefully, you feel better about your draft going forward because I think you guys did all right. Now, the last question I'm going to ask you before we get out of here, estimated 2017 record, better or worse than 2016?
4: I think the team will be better, but I think the record will be worse. And the reason I think that is because I think the offense is really— like, it took them about five or six weeks to get clicking last year, Mm -hmm. and the the passing game was really slow out of the shoot. But I think that they'll be better on offense. But there's just too many questions on defense for me still. I mean, we're one Cam Wake or Ndamukong Su injury away from having just a mess on the defensive line uh, in terms of pass rushing ability. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Rashad Jones went down last year in the secondary. was a mess. I mean, we saw that in Week 16 against you guys. Um, when you guys were just tormenting our third and fourth safeties, it was one but, of the um, it was
3: one of the first games that Tyrod Taylor really kind of took over the second half of a football game. But it's because, oh, yeah. it, but when you're playing against depleted talent, I mean, yeah, you still got to make the throws. But you, like he he wasn't going up against world beaters.
2: Yeah, but we still had Rex Ryan who decided <laughs> to put ten men out in overtime for a Jai again to run down our goddamn throats.
3: And punt the
4: ball in fourth and one when you tied. Did you no good?
3: Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so and then I guess are you also when you're coming up with the conclusion of worse? Do you think that are you taking into account schedule on top of that yeah. or?
4: <clears throat> yeah, a little bit of it. I mean, you know, schedule before the season is always kind of a silly practice, I think, because mm-hmm. you, you never know what's. I mean, last year the Dolphins were supposed to be a team that everyone was supposed to beat, right? And they won ten games, so yep. that's not like an easy win by any means. Um, but I just think that. It's hard to repeat that kind of success. And I also look at the the record in close games. I mean, we had so many close games where we just kind of got lucky at the end, like the Kiko Alonso pick six in San
3: Diego. Like the Rams game where somehow you were down with no points with two, two, two or three minutes left in the fourth quarter and then scored two touchdowns in the last four minutes to win the game. Because yeah, the Rams turns on were, that
4: time that would, game big time.
3: You guys, <laughs> I, <laughs> I was mad watching that because I'm like neither one of these teams wants to win this freaking game. No yeah, one that's wants exactly that. right. Each team is trying their hardest to let the other team win.
4: <laughs> so when, when I say worse, I'm thinking like nine and seven, and um, I, I think that they're on the right track. But I just. I don't know, man. I've been burned too many times by getting excited about this team. Last year I had them at I think I said seven and nine was the record prediction for last year, six and ten, and they they've, you know, mm-hmm. beat that pretty good. So if I shoot low, usually I end up I end up
2: aim high. So mm-hmm. And who are their who are their two um let's see, they're playing a second place schedule, so who are their two opponents in the AFC that they gotta play? It's the
4: uh, Titans and Ravens, which Titans Titans for us are a matchup nightmare the way they run the ball. And the Ravens we haven't beat since like nineteen ninety four, so
2: <laughs> oh, Jesus. when they were even a team <laughs> alright well Jesus. Travis hook us up with your uh, Twitter and where people can find all of the blogs and if you have any blog coming out in the next couple of days you know, let us know what that is
4: yes sir it's uh, at Travis underscore writes is, is my Twitter handle and my website will be launching sometime in July I'm almost done with all the content it's uh, every throw of every quarterback not sure the name of the site yet I don't want to give it away because I don't want it to get stolen because I haven't registered it yet but it'll be coming out here in the next month and a half or so. And then Dolphins-wise, I don't have anything on the schedule just yet.
2: All right. We'd like to thank Travis Wingfield, uh, Travis underscore writes on Twitter, uh, for all the Dolphins knowledge he dropped on us. If you are a fan of the Bills, you want to know what's going on in the division. Travis brought it tonight.
3: Now, buddy, we got to get out of here. Where can we find your website and where can they find you on Twitter?
1: Uh, they can find us on our website. It's hashtag... Sports.net. They can find us on Twitter at H sports. We also have a Facebook account, Facebook.com backslash H tag sports. We're usually trolling uh, WGR every once in a while, <laughs> but uh, by and large, we're usually typing articles about the NFL, and uh, we, we tend to veer off every, every once in a while to an MLB, NBA, and NHL every once in a while. So be sure to check out the website, um, give the Facebook a like, and um, Drew, I can't, uh, I, can't, I can't thank you enough for having me on again, man. It's always a good time. Dude, I appreciate uh, it. Talking, talking bills with you.
3: Guys, thank you everyone for showing up. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That's Mario. And that was Travis. And this has been the Rock Pile Report.